Well, good morning again, everyone. It's very good to see you all here. Uh, again, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am uh, really excited about this current teaching series that we're uh, right in the middle of. So we're going to take about six to seven weeks uh, up until the end of October, and we're going to explore this idea of transformation. We're going to uh, look at and understand how it is that God transforms us, how he makes us new, how he changes us. Last week, we began by examining this fundamental truth that in order to be transformed, in order to be changed, what God does is that he speaks to us in the law, and the law are the commands, and we realize pretty quickly that we cannot keep his commands, and that turns us toward faith, hope in Jesus Christ, and he also gives us the gospel, which is the promise, and these are unearned things that God gives us simply because he loves us. That includes forgiveness of sin. It includes being part of the family, his family, the family of faith where God is our father. That includes being brought into the kingdom of God and being able to live under his rule. These things are things that are just given. He gives transformation. He gives salvation. He gives holiness just because that's who he is. He just likes to give good gifts. And so what we found is that actually God's work is to turn us away from ourselves and to turn us toward Jesus. That's his goal, is always to point us back to Jesus and to the work of Jesus. And today we're actually going to continue in that same vein. We're going to look at the implications of this as we live our life. So what does a transformed life look like then? And that's what we're going to read about here in 1 Corinthians. And as I was reading this passage and studying it and praying through it, uh, I, I couldn't help but think about something that I've been doing this summer that I've really, really enjoyed. It's been just a, a blast this summer. My oldest son is five, and so he's finally old enough to participate in like t-ball and soccer and that kind of stuff. And so he started, you know, we kind of got to the end of the winter earlier this year, and, and we were like, Augustine, would you like to play t-ball? And he's like, yeah, I would love to play t-ball. So we got him signed up for t-ball, and I helped coach his t-ball team. I was the assistant coach there, and it was just so much fun. I mean, it's so much fun playing with these little kids and uh, learning the game and having fun with them. And we kind of got toward the end of T-ball, and soccer registration was going. So we were like, Augustine, would you like to play soccer in a couple months? He's like, yeah, I want to play soccer. So we got him signed up. I signed up to be a coach, and we've, the last few weeks we've been doing soccer, and it is just the best. If you have the time and you have the energy, you should sign up to help coach these little, like, five, six and under kids playing soccer. It is so much fun. It is wild. It is rambunctious, but if you have kids, if you've coached kids in soccer or t-ball or basketball, you know that it is also chaos, total chaos, right? And so I'm coaching these kids, and during the game, I'm out there on the field. The coaches are also the referees, so we're letting, helping the kids know what to do, where to go, and you know, making sure that everybody's safe, but it is just total chaos. And there are some of these kids that just, they run after that ball, with zero disregard for human life. Like they don't care who's in the way, what's in the way, they are just gonna to get to that ball and kick it as hard as they can. And so before every game, I tell my kids, we're gonna do three things today. We all huddle up before the game. I say we're gonna do three things today. We're gonna to have fun, we're gonna be safe, and we're gonna play hard. 
We're going to have fun. We're going to be safe. We're going to play hard. And now they get the have fun part, right? That's pretty easy. They're out there. They're having fun. They're running around. It's a blast, right? They get the play hard part. They're running at full speed no matter what, but they really don't get the be safe part yet. And so what you have to do with these little kids, if you just release them to go play soccer, it would be an utter disaster, right? And so what we do is we have rules. We're out there, we're helping them learn how to run around safely. One of the things I did early in practice was we did a chicken wing where you would play with chicken wings. And I tell the kids while they're playing, I say, if you're using your hands to touch other kids, I'm gonna make you use the chicken wings, right, while you play, right? So we give them some rules to know how to play safely, how to not play safely. If a kid's on the ground, you don't kick at them, right? Those kinds of things. You just have some basic rules because we know that it's more fun and you can really play the game well if there are some rules. It would be total chaos if we just released them to go play and didn't give them any rules at all, right? So what we're going to look at today is this passage in Corinthians where this Corinthian church, these believers in Corinth, they believed that because Jesus had redeemed them, that they could live their life with zero rules at all with zero guidance, right? They thought that they could just do whatever they wanted and it wouldn't matter, right? They could sin as much as they wanted because Jesus would always forgive them. They could do whatever they wanted because they were free in Jesus Christ and they did some pretty atrocious and perverted things. If you read through Corinthians, it's a dark, dark letter of some of these things that these Christians did. And so Paul is writing this letter to help these Corinthians think through this balance, this nuance of, yes, the law cannot save us. Commands cannot save us. Commands cannot make us holy. Only the gospel can. But it is not this kind of libertine freedom that everybody just does whatever they want because you and I know that if everybody just did whatever they want, it would be horrible. It would be chaos, We know that when there are some guidelines and some rules, it actually allows all of us to live well, and you actually can have more freedom if you have a little bit of guidance. You have more freedom if you have some boundaries with which to work in, and that's exactly what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians. So we jump into this passage beginning in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things Build up. So what Paul does here in this first uh, verse is that he actually quotes a saying that the Corinthians probably said quite a bit. They probably quoted this, all things are lawful, a lot. And we know again that they did some pretty atrocious things and they probably did it under this banner of, well, we can do all things because all things are lawful in Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins by giving this little nuance to it. He says, okay, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You see, what's interesting here is that these Corinthians, they actually had rules too, even if it seems like they didn't have any rule. And the first rule was, there were no rules, right? That was the rule by which that they were living. And each and every one of us, we kind of have some rules by which we live by. Right? Some of them are informed by our Christian faith. Some of them are informed by our culture. Some of them are informed by our family. But we all kind of have rules that we live by. 
simple rule. Sometimes it's as simple as when you're done with your plate at dinner time, you bring it to the sink, right? Or if you get out toys, you immediately put them away. Or if you use a dish, you wash it, right? Sometimes there are simple rules, but sometimes there are big rules that you're going to run your business in a way that you think Jesus would be honored by. That's a rule by which you live, and we love rules. We love rules because we know that if there are no rules, it's utter chaos. So our society, our culture also has lots of rules by which they live. And we might be tempted to say, oh, well, yeah, our culture lives by the rule, all things are lawful. There are no rules. That's not necessarily true, is it? There are lots of rules in our culture, and if you break the rules, you're out, right? If you break the rules, you're labeled as a bigot or you're canceled, whatever it might be, right? We have this system of rules in place. The church, Christians, also have lots of rules, And sometimes these rules are small and they don't really impact very much. Sometimes they're big and can cause some harm. We have rules, unspoken rules, around what you can wear, how you talk, what you can drink, what you can eat. And what Paul talks about, we won't be able to get into it uh, just because we don't have the time, but as Paul talks about these kinds of rules, he says that they actually bind us up and they bind our our conscience to these rules. And he says, if you have a rule that you live by, it's not fair for you to bind somebody else by that rule. And if I have liberty, I can't bind somebody else's conscience to my liberty. And he uses this example, this issue that's going on there, is that in Corinth, it was, uh, there were lots of religions in Corinth. In fact, Christianity was a very, very, very small minority of believers there. And in Corinth, you would have your neighbors and your family who were pagans. They would worship other gods. They would sacrifice meat to other gods, to idols. And then the excess meat they would then eat or sell or do whatever. And he talks about this meat. And he says, hey, if you're going to the market and you're buying some meat, buy it. Don't even ask where it comes from. You don't need to know. Why? Because if it's sacrificed to idols, it actually really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And in fact, if you go to somebody's house, if you're going to a neighbor's house or a family member's house, and they, you know that they're a pagan, you know that they sacrifice to other gods, and they feed you some meat, he says, don't even ask them. Don't even ask them where it comes from. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Because again, we have freedom. Things are lawful. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. So he says, if you go to somebody else's house, They offer you some meat and they say, hey, by the way, I sacrificed this to X, Y, and Z God. I honored this God by sacrificing this meat. He says, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Not for your own sake, but for their sake. Because you see, Paul would hate for the Corinthians' pagan neighbors and family to think that somehow the Christians thought that their gods and Yahweh and the Jesus Christ could somehow commingle or coexist together. So Paul says, if somebody tells you it's sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. But again, not for your sake. Because it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter. You're free. But it's for their sake. It's for their good, for their benefit that you ought to withhold. And in another place in Corinthians, he talks about meat sacrifice to idols. And if you're eating with a brother or sister in Christ, 
and they don't think that you should eat meat sacrificed to idols, but you know in Jesus Christ that it's fine, that it's lawful. He says you should withhold your own freedom for the benefit of the weaker brother, the, the brother who doesn't have enough faith to know that they have this freedom. So then Paul gives us this caveat. Yes, you have freedom in Christ. Yes, the law cannot save you. Yes, the law cannot make you holy, but even if something is good and lawful, that doesn't mean it's beneficial. It doesn't mean that it builds others up. And he expands on this in verse 24, here, there at the bottom of those last two lines, do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Paul's principle in this passage is this. Yes, you have freedom in Christ, but you are bound by love for others first. This goes back to a sermon I preached several months ago, part of our Lord of All series, and I was talking about health. We actually examined the other passage in, in Corinthians where he talks about food. That yes, you can do whatever you want, you can eat whatever you want, but we restrict what we do and don't do, not for our benefit, but for others, because we want to love them well. So the principle here is love, not necessarily rules. You can eat all the meat you want, doesn't matter if it's sacrificed to idols or not, but if it's not beneficial for the other, then don't do it. Why? Because love is the mark of maturity, not rules. Love is the mark of maturity. So for the Christians, and you've heard me say this a lot the last few weeks, it is love that we ought to be aiming for. Love is what shows us that we are mature in Jesus Christ. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more loving we're gonna be. The more loving we are, the more we have evidence that we have been spending time with Jesus. And here in verse 24, I think is a great definition of love. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. And you see how this ties back to last week, where God's work is to pull us away from ourselves and to work toward the good of the other. It's just like with faith, where he wants us to turn away from ourselves and turn toward Jesus in our life, he wants us to turn away from ourselves and turn toward others. And Paul says here that he works diligently to save as many as he can. We're gonna to get to that in a little bit. He does whatever he can to save as many as he can. So I wanna take a moment here because I know that in, uh, it can be difficult when we think about this idea of love, this definition of love, of seeking the good of the other, of doing what we can for the advantage of the other, it can be difficult because so many of us are hurt and burdened by our desire to love and support our friends, our family, our community, and we actually feel an anxiety and a burden because of this desire to love. And what we tend to do sometimes is we actually tend to seek uh, out ways to please those around us, and we bend and contort our desires and our will out of what we call love for your friends or family or neighbors. And it creates a burden and an anxiety within our hearts. We call this people pleasing. You familiar with this idea? We call this people pleasing. And uh, there are lots of individuals, especially those who are really empathetic, who tend to be people pleasers. And people pleasers might hear this. There are some of you in this room who need to hear this, like, Stop thinking about yourself, right? Start thinking about others. But there are some in this room, some who are worshiping with us online, who 
maybe have this people-pleasing tendency and they feel like all they do is think about what others want and desire and need and you feel like you spend all your time bending your will, bending over backwards for the others. So I just wanna take a little side note. We're gonna do a little side thing. As your pastor, I wanna talk a little bit about this people-pleasing genuine love issue because what, uh, what we actually see in the journals of psychology and these kinds of things is this desire to people please is backwards because it's not actually about the people that you're trying to please. It's about yourself. Because people pleasing, that tendency is the desire to manage or change how people think about you or feel about you by doing certain things for them or saying certain things to them. So it's this fear of rejection, this fear of removal, this fear of distance, or this fear of being looked down upon or you know, others thinking less of you. And so you do whatever you can to manage and control what others think about you by bending over backwards to do everything you can to please them. You see, it's actually inherently selfish to try to manage and control others' opinions about you, other people's perceptions about you. Genuine love is not about managing or fixing others. So sometimes we have family members or friends that we love and we want the best for them, and so then we use things like guilt, we use things like passive aggression to try to force them to do whatever, come visit more often, go to church more often, be around more often, let you be involved in the kid's life more often, this is actually control and manipulation and is not genuine love. Because genuine love asks the question, what benefits the other person? And sometimes in our life, that means letting the other person push away and be separate from you for a little bit. Sometimes that means giving people space. Genuine love asks what is beneficial and what is good for building up for the other. So we have to actually change the way that we think about love because there are oftentimes we're like, well, I love them, so I want the best for them, so I'm trying to convince them to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, but if you're using manipulation and control, it's actually ultimately about you and not about them. And this is what's so honestly, for, from our view, foolish about the gospel. Because God just says, here's forgiveness. Here's acceptance into the family of faith. Here it is. It's free. It's for everybody. And we think, yeah, but God, don't we have to do X, Y, and Z first? Nope. It's free to everybody. Well, God, what if somebody believes in you and then leaves the faith? It's free for everybody. That's what love is like. It's open and free, and it's also sure of itself. So genuine love looks like a delight and a joy in the other person, simply for who they are. Genuine love looks like having boundaries about what you're willing to do and not do and communicating those boundaries really well. Genuine love is taking the time and the care to communicate well your expectations to others. That's what genuine love looks like. Because we say, I want you to be benefited. I want you to be built up in love. I want you to grow and flourish. And so I'm going to make sure that I'm protected, that you're protected, 
that I can serve you well, that you can flourish well. And so it doesn't really look like the kind of people-pleasing, bending over backwards, do whatever you can to manage other people's feelings about you. Those are two different things. Are you following me? You understand that distinction there. What Paul calls us to do is genuine love. Seeking the advantage of others, and sometimes it is gonna hurt us. Sometimes others won't accept it. Sometimes they'll reject it. Sometimes they will take advantage of it. That's all part of genuine love. Because you know what, we have a God who's not afraid of being taken advantage of. Jesus Christ welcomed the 12 disciples, including Judas, into his fold. And he trained and developed them all, including Judas. And at some point, we know that Jesus knew exactly what Judas was gonna do, and yet he was still part of the fold. We have a God who lavishes love upon us and is not afraid of rejection, is not afraid of manipulate, being, trying to be manipulated. He's not afraid of being taken advantage of. And that's what genuine love shows us. And that's why Paul down here at the bottom of this passage in verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many so they may be saved. Paul understands that whatever we do, eat or drink, whatever it is, it's done for the glory of God. It reflects God's very love for us. It reflects God's very opinion of us. And so the principle here is not that of like trying to find out exactly what we can and can't do, what Christians should and shouldn't do. The principle here is that we ought to have love be our end, and we know that as we seek the Lord together, as we prayerfully consider scripture as the inspired word of God, we know that love is going to be the fruit of our labor. Love is going to be the fruit of the spirit as he fills us and guides us, because that is the first fruit of the spirit, is love. So we have freedom in Christ. We are free to do as we feel led by the Holy Spirit, as our conscience tells us, but love is our end. And so we look to God and we ask the question, what's the best benefit? What's the best to build up? Sometimes folks don't wanna hear what's gonna benefit them, and that's okay. They can reject, they can oppose, they can hurl insults, they can call you bigot and narrow-minded as much as they want, but we know that love seeks the benefit of all and the building up of all, especially those who are in the family of faith. And so love, genuine love, ought to be this fruit that bears as we follow Jesus together.